a great picture. Can I turn this on now? Are we good? Okay. I turned it on earlier and everybody in the building knew it. So um, <laughs> right downstairs, you probably heard that. Yeah, okay. Thank you, Cheryl. I love that picture, drinking from the saucer because the cup overflows. That's a, that's a wonderful picture. Um, so three or four things that matter not to the message ahead. Several people have commented at times when I don't wear my shoes. It's not a spiritual reason whatsoever. It's this it's going to be telling because you're going to know how I feel on certain days. Sometimes my foot hurts, so I take off my shoes. I know. Shocking. <laughs> it's a highly spiritual answer. So if I'm wearing my shoes, you're going, hey, Greg's having a good day. Okay. Um, uh, secondly, one of the songs we did earlier was in a worship service a couple of weeks ago, and, and Greg was very concerned that we had done it last week because it was still in the order. <laughs> And um, we said, nobody's going to remember anyway, so it's going to be okay. And, uh, but I think it was a couple of weeks ago anyway. Um, third thing, if something goes wrong in the booth, on the screen, with the sound, it's probably not their fault, right? <laughs> and there was probably one more thing. Oh, well, that's all right. Those three things I was thinking of, they do not matter to the message today at all. Anyway, um, they were on my mind to start out. I'm going to go there. All right. Uh, go to Acts chapter 5, and let's be a little more spiritual and look at God's Word today. Um, I entitled today's message, uh, Rising Costs. And um, as we go through the, the book of Acts, we see over and over that something will happen, something bigger will happen, and then the disciples go to jail. And then something happens, well actually usually they preach, something happens, the disciples go to jail. This is a pattern. Now, this, I, I like to remind us that if we think we have it hard, I ask you, have you ever put, been put in jail because you preached the gospel? I haven't. I'm not saying that I know everybody's life perfectly here on earth, here in this room. But more than likely, if you've lived in this nation in your lifetime, that has not happened. And so we can be thankful for those things. As the disciples continue in walking, to, uh, in walking with the Holy Spirit and what, the, what Christ wants them to do, then we see that it gets harder and harder to preach the gospel. But that's what they keep doing. And so every time I hear someone, and it could even be me, okay? Every time I hear somebody complain about how things are in our world today, I want us to think about these moments. Because God has given us great liberty in our nation and in our world to proclaim his word in safety and in freedom. So I would encourage you that if you are discouraged Read the book of Acts. It's also interesting. I'm, I've been listening to the book of Acts in my, in my wake-up. One of my wake-ups in the morning in my first world existence is that I play an audio Bible to kind of help me get out of the fog. I've been listening to the book of Acts kind of over and over and over and over. And um, it's interesting as you, we continue in this because Acts is long and we spend about three weeks on each chapter, which means pro approximately 2047 is when we'll finish it. Um, 
I'm just kidding. Maybe. Uh, but it's interesting that we see God work in so many amazing ways to the disciples. And, and even more so, as much time as we end up spending, and we're not today, obviously, we're not even there yet, but as much time as we spend looking at what Paul writes to us, to look at what was happening while he was writing in the book of Acts. And so if you get into reading a book like Romans or Philippians or um, maybe one of the early books like Galatians or 1 Thessalonians, realize that we may have a chance to look and see what was happening parallel in the book of Acts and the context that surrounds all those things. It's, it's pretty interesting. That was free. Now, in Acts chapter 5, we will start out, we're going to finish out Acts chapter 5 today. There's a lot of verses here. We're not going to stand for all of them. But I want to start like we usually do in standing and honoring God and His Word. We're going to read verses 17 through 21 together. Let's stand as we read God's Word together. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak, uh, speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the priest, high priest came and those who, who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. And that's where the fun begins. Lord, you... Uh, you work through your word, and you protect those, ultimately, eternally, who are faithful to you. Help us to be faithful to you today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So last week, last couple of weeks, we've, inter- we've, we've seen a series of events that kind of, uh, kind of snowball, we get an avalanche of things happening here, right? Uh, a few weeks back, we see that... that we, uh, at the end of chapter 4, we saw Barnabas introduced to us, the son of encouragement, this man who brings his offering fully to the Lord. And then we see the, the antithesis with Ananias and Sapphira almost immediately. When they bring their uh, partial offering to the Lord, they drop on the spot and they're buried next to each other within hours of each other. That is an interesting thing happening and going on. We're seeing a lot of things go on here. And then last week, we looked at this transitional passage where we see people recognize what God is doing and they respond to the truth of the gospel. And when they hear the truth, they are cut to the quick. They're cut to the hearts and they come to faith in Christ. This does not make the, uh, the high priests, the leaders of the day, Happy, And that's where we pick up in verse 17. People were being healed. People were trusting Christ. They were acknowledging the power of the Almighty. And they see that all of a sudden you, you would think that people would be happy about healings, about restoration, but they weren't. The leaders were upset because that was something that was then out of their control. We run into the same kind of thing today, that we want to discount the supernatural because we cannot control the supernatural. 
But our God is the one who breathed life into us and gives us an opportunity to bless his name together. And so that's one of the reasons I advocate for life. That's one of the reasons I've been a part locally of the ministry of a caring pregnancy center. And, 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 and saw both our kids come into the world and see there was life all of a sudden. And then even when we think about losing those that we love, it's, it's a sacred, it's a holy moment to see somebody enter the presence of the Lord. And you can't help but think that it was a miracle in the first place that we saw it. How do you explain life except that someone breathed it? And so when we see this here, we realize that there is, there is something happening. There's a great work at play, and the apostles recognize this, and they're not really very concerned about what the religious leaders of their day are, are dealing with. They want to be obedient to the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here they go. The high priest rose up, and all who were with him, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So it was the prison of the Romans, right? We'd had the temple guard before, and now we see the Romans getting involved. And so they, they come back. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and preach, I'm sorry, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And if you have the version I'm reading, it's a capital L, life. What do we, how does that echo that? It echoes John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This offends the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Council of the Sanhedrin because they're acknowledging the authority of the Lord over the authority of the people. And that's one of the problems we run into in our world today is that people don't want to think that we're accountable to someone beyond what we can see. And so... It creates disorder. It creates chaos. Need a little picture of it right now. We, we've been looking at this world in, in the last several months, in the last couple of years, and you start talking about things like gender dysphoria and all these kinds of things going on. That is the work of the devil trying to confuse us. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we come to him, we can realize that to, as we are, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that he has come and paid the price that we would be able to overcome the things of this world. That we would speak the life. And now go and proclaim that truth in our culture today and see how well that goes for you. Right? And it's June. You can go and try that all you want to. It's not going to be a very happy moment. When you speak truth and accountability to a creator, people will not be happy about it. That's what's happening here. They're acknowledging the, that God reigns over the letter of the law. And these religious leaders had turned the law into their object of worship rather than the God who gave them that law. And so they were worshiping basically their obedience to it rather than the God who gave it. And the disciples here come to task with the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees in a very interesting interaction. And this is actually one of my favorite moments in the, in the, in the Gospel of Acts. It's not the Gospel of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. 
what we see happen here at the end of chapter 5. Because it reminds me, again, who we're ultimately accountable to. We're accountable to the Lord who created us. So, they go and stand in the temple. They do this. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, uh, verse 21 continues, the high priest came. Where did they go? It says they went back into later. We may come back to it here. They went back to Solomon's portico. The place where they had been caught earlier and arrested, they go back and return to the same place and start proclaiming that before the sun even comes up. Their alarm clock hadn't even gone off, and they're back out there doing exactly what they've been arrested for. It takes a little bit of boldness, right? What, is the, what, what, do you, what usually happens when somebody is released from jail? They say, go home. Well, the angel is the one who released them from the jail, the angel of the Lord, and it didn't even look like they were gone. We're going to continue on here. They called together the council, in verse 21, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, verse 22, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Something happened. You think so? That's what it already said. The angel let them out. But the guards didn't even notice. God had a plan, and the ways of the world couldn't stop it. And if it is God's plan, we're going to come back to that theme here. If it is God's plan and he's doing the work, we're not going to be able to stop it. And we shouldn't want to, by the way. So, verse 24. This is, a, this is a dangerous spot for those guards. They're accountable for these prisoners. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, you think? Wondering what this would come to. They're standing there, looking at each other, staring at their thumbs, wondering what's going on, what's going to happen. And then somebody shows up with more of the story. And someone came to them and told them, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So you have two different parties at work with a, with a decent amount of power you got the rulers of the day, and then you've got the people who could easily become a mob, right? They're very concerned about what's possibly going to happen to them. And now we see what the conversation becomes here. They were afraid of being beaten to death, basically pummeled to death by the mob. And when they brought them to him, verse 27, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. There was no confusion about the message. Peter very plainly had already told them, you killed him. And this is the difference of the Holy Spirit at work in your life 
before and after. Because remember, Peter was the guy who denied Christ three times the night he was crucified. Just six, seven weeks later, he is the one standing before that very council that called for his death and saying, you killed him. Something different happened. And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Peter had boldness he could never explain before the Holy Spirit had empowered him to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins, rose from the dead, and offers us new life in his name, which he already brought. So when we come to that place now, we find that that Peter is not scared of them. In verse 29, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Now, I want to share with you right now, this, this comes to task with some things that we see in the book of Romans, the things that we see in the book of 1 Peter, where it says, Fear God, honor the emperor, or honor the king, to pay attention to the laws that are before you because they are there, because these these leaders are actually ministers that God has appointed for the good of the people. But those same people and that same law is ultimately accountable to something greater. And that is God. So when those authorities contradict the God of eternity, there is, something, there is a choice that we have to make. And that is to obey God rather than men. This is a theme we saw kind of recently through the, uh, the coronavirus era when churches had to make a decision about whether to open their own doors at the risk of... There, there were lots of things to consider there. But I can say personally, is fr from this spot, my concern was not about what the government was going to do to me. It was about people getting sick. Right? There's a difference we must obey God and the call that He has placed upon our life to proclaim His goodness and His glory. Should we look at the things that are happening in the world around us? Yes, we should. We should pay attention to those things. But ultimately, we're accountable to the one who is the author of life itself. And we must trust Him to guide us through those moments. And I'm thankful for godly leadership in our church that helped us get through those things. But that's just a small example, really, of the kinds of things that people around the world deal with all the time. Because there are plenty of churches that don't have a sign out front saying, come and be a part of things. Because they have to hide. Because of fear for their life. But they continue to proclaim the good news. Why? Because of the statement that Peter says here, we must obey God rather than men. Verse, verse 29. Verse 30, God, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. Just in case you didn't remember the last thing I told you, I'm going to say it again, a little bit louder. Same verse as the first. All right, anyway. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give him repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. That word leader is an interesting thing because that, that, doesn't, that word doesn't appear a whole lot um, in, in the New Testament. It's, it's the same word that's translated as prince. You might have that in your translation as well. But it's, it's the right hand. It's the hand of authority. It's recognizing that the author of creation gave Christ something special. Something different, and he has been exalted. 
In his humility, he is exalted. We are, oh, say, I didn't get that far. To give repentance, this is the part that really matters, to give repentance to Israel. And so, hold on, my eyes are crossing. I might need new glasses. Okay. Uh, God, uh, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Always coming back to our greatest need. We are sinners in need of a savior. God exalted Jesus at his right hand as our prince and savior. Because he was the one who was willing to pay the price that we might come back to him. How do we know this? Verse 32. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So that is a promise. That is a statement of witness to what has happened in Christ's crucifixion. These men saw Christ die, and they're speaking to the ones who ordered his execution. Now, these men have seen him rise... And they testify to this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now this promise is to us as well. This is not a unique promise to the apostles. It is to us too. All right? Uh, did I turn the page? No. See, I'm going to have to get this checked out. I need a problem there. Um, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. God empowers you when you trust him as Savior, to bear witness the way Peter did. If you have received Christ as your Savior, that's the baptism that matters, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because He's the one who gives us the courage. He is the one who gives us the words. It says, and Jesus tells us, He says, when your Spirit comes, you will have power to speak my truth when you're pro uh, prosecuted for your faith. Do you think these guys are going to have this big old fat book in front of them if they're in jail? Hold on, let me look up here and see. Can't even read it anyway, right? I can't see it. But no, what we see is the power of the Holy Spirit at work empowers the church to bear witness to his name, even in times of struggle and persecution. We have courage because we know the truth because of the testament of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our hearts. That's what the word tells us. When we trust him as Savior, if we obey him, he gives us the Spirit. Verse 33, he says, when, oh, that's, this is good. You can just see Peter talking. Everybody views Peter in a way. We, if we view him like if you've watched The Chosen, he's not a very big guy, right? I can almost see that guy doing this. All right? I've, I've seen Peter described as a big old fisherman too. Big old burly guy, right? Whatever the case is. Two months earlier, he was hiding. Now he's in the face of those who bring charges against him. Literally, he's in their face. They are enraged. How do we know this? Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged. <laughs> there you go. And they wanted to kill them. Why did they want to kill him? Because he proclaimed Christ as Lord. Cause and effect. They didn't want to kill them because they were being holier than thou or more pious because the people who were being pious were the ones that wanted to kill the ones proclaiming Christ as Lord. Obedience to Christ is a great risk. 
Enter a new character into the story here, verse 34. This guy is actually one of my favorite guys in the book of Acts, and he only shows up a couple of times. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. I really like Gamaliel. This guy pops back up because there's another man in the, in the book of Acts who is actually a student of Gamaliel. Anybody remember who that is? A guy named Saul of Tarsus. Eventually becomes Paul, the Apostle Paul. In just a couple of chapters, we see who the Saul character was. He was a persecutor of the church. He killed Christians. Gamaliel was a student of the law, and he was a teacher of the law. His students were passionate enough about it to bring persecution to the church. How do we know? Because of Paul. Okay. Gamaliel was a man who was faithful to the word of God. But he also had a measure of wisdom that was different than his cohorts here on the council. He sends the disciples out, Peter and all the crew, and he said to the, them, the council, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Be careful. For before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. So this is the only time this guy's, I, I, I tried to figure out if this guy's mentioned anywhere else. Thetis is only mentioned here. He rose up, he had a message, he riled up the crowds, and we found out that the problem took care of itself. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So he brings a couple of different illustrations of guys whose names matter in the story, but they don't matter at the end of the story. Why? Because what they brought amounted to nothing. They just got people stirred up. In response to this, this is what he says in verse 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan is, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. We have people like this today. And I pray to God I'm not one of those guys. Because the message of life is what matters. We must proclaim salvation. We must proclaim that Christ is Lord, and that's what Peter was doing. So when Gamaliel speaks this, he's warning the council of some things that happened with other guys who spoke a big game and then nothing happened, right? Um, and even in the last 30, 40 years, we've seen some people show up that try to say they're Jesus even. And how does that go for them? It doesn't. 
I could think of three or four things even in the last 20 years for sure. The only message that endures is the cross. Now Gamaliel, in his wisdom here, says, lay off. But I think the Holy Spirit's at work in this as well, because he's actually saying lay off to the people that it matters to lay off of. <laughs> right? If we speak falsehood, it's going to crumble around our ears. And we might go the way of Ephesus or of Judas the Galilean. But if we proclaim Christ, it will endure. And it will matter. The, the challenge we have is to not make us and the way we do things and, the, and, the, and who we are in the community an idol. We must always point to Jesus. Gamaliel did not know whether or not this would amount to anything, but he said if it doesn't, it's going to fade, fade away. And if it does, we can't stop it anyway. And that's a, that's a pretty good leadership principle. <laughs> Sometimes we bring up an idea that somebody might think is dumb. But we say, hey, give it a shot. And guess what? That thing we didn't like very much may have been exactly what needed to happen. Why? Because that thing that we thought was silly might just bring Christ the most glory. Let's give it a shot. Because if God is in it, we won't be able to stop it. Gamaliel brought great wisdom to the council at the right moment in history. God guided this moment. Because he backed off and all of a sudden, like wildfire, the gospel takes off. In the present case, sorry, let's see, uh, is of God. Verse, um, end of verse 39 says, so they took his advice. Uh, that's good for them. They took somebody's advice, right? And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, guys, that didn't happen the last time. They just got arrested. This is the rising cost. Instead of just getting thrown into jail, now they're getting 39 lashes. The cat of nine tails. Go look that up. That's what Christ endures. They beat them and they let them go. You, would, you might think that Peter and his friends would be discouraged and beaten down. Literally beaten. However, forty-one, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I, I, I don't know many people that strong, <laughs> right? Or that crazy? Maybe I don't know. They're in love with Jesus, is what they are. And they counted worthy to endure the suffering that Christ endured. This was the same thing Jesus had that happened to him before he died on the cross. 
He was beaten beyond recognition. And they're like, yay, now we're like Jesus. Now, when it says to, in your heart, be like Christ Jesus in your mind, that's not usually what we're thinking about. Am I right? We usually think we've done something wrong if something like that happens. But friends, the risk is there. If we proclaim boldly the truth of Christ, we might just suffer for it. And if we do, let's try to be like these apostles and rejoice in the moment of that. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ that the Christ is Jesus. Christ wasn't his last name, by the way. Just a reminder. It was a title. It's the same word as Messiah in the Hebrew. It's the anointed one. The anointed one is Jesus. They kept coming back to the name, to the life that is Christ. There's a lot of wisdom in this. I want to look real quickly. I'm not going to spend a long time here, but one of the, the favorite psalms that the church has is uh, Psalm 37. Verses 3 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's verses 3 and 4. Now here's what... Um, here, here's where I, I got to thinking about this. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And what did I tell you earlier about the screen and forgetting to put the light? The, the verse, that the point is the next one. So I hope you do have your Bibles open. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not over yourself, over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. It's basically the wisdom here that Gamaliel's offering to the council. Wait for the Lord and see what he's going to do. God is in the waiting. He brings us to a place where we can can experience His grace in moments where we might not understand it otherwise. And sometimes it's in the hardest moments we're enduring. Where is God found? In the waiting. Trusting that He's going to do His work. And I know so many in, in here, in the world, have been waiting for something to happen. Something in your lives that needs to give way. But be reminded that God is present with you there. And we can't stop Him. He's still working in you in your moment of trials and suffering and illness and injury and, and service and, and just trying to figure out what's next. God is with you. How do we know? It's by the message that Peter proclaimed. That the Holy Spirit is with those who trust Him. So in your trial, first of all, let's look at Acts 5 and say, is it quite like what they went through here? If it's not, maybe we need to calm down a little bit. But secondly, 
How is God working in you through that? What, did, what happened in the midst of all of this? God worked through this guy Gamaliel and said, back off. Was Gamaliel a follower of Jesus Christ? He was not. But God worked through him anyway. Why? Because God is sovereign. And God speaks his truth. Wait for the Lord. Trust that he's going to do his work. Trust that he will open doors and, as, it, as we've said before in different ways, make all crooked paths straight, all those different kinds of statements along the way. Wait for the Lord. Doesn't mean we stop doing what we're called to do, right? The apostles kept at it. They went back to the temple and proclaimed the truth, the place they had been arrested. And not only that, they started going to everybody's houses too. They were bold in their obedience. Trust him today. Trust him to do what he has called you to do. And it's not about, it's not about anything except the message of the gospel. Period. Sharing Christ's love with the world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your grace at work in us.